Hey everyone, I'm Scott. And I'm Jim. And together we're Seen That Podcast. That's S-C-E-N-E, That Podcast, where we talk about what we're watching, the movies we love, and sometimes the ones we don't. Welcome to Seen That Podcast. Jim, we are here. We have started our own podcast. It's the first episode, man. I've never been more excited about a podcast. Uh, you know, and I and I hope that we connect with some of you out there and you can share in the excitement that we have for the first inaugural episode of the Scene That Podcast. Yeah, this has been a dream of ours for quite a while. Uh, we started it at work and we're excited to finally bring it out to you. It's the it's where you start anything, really. It's at work, you're at a lunch table and, and you're kind of having that conversation of what can we do to improve our lives a little bit, to improve other people's lives a little bit, and what some might call a midlife crisis. Yeah, at age 26, uh, we've decided it's time to start a podcast to get away from our exciting accounting jobs. And and most people think they hear the term accountants and they're like, oh, they're very boring. And while, yeah, that's mostly true, we share a common interest in movies and we know that there's plenty of you out there who agree in that sense. So we want to bring some joy to you by reviewing some movies, talking about some upcoming movies, you know, anything related to movies, TV shows, anything we want to bring to you. Yeah. We're going to get to discuss anything that's really happening in the film industry. And we're excited to just share those opinions and honestly, just enjoy recording the podcast ourselves. One thing we want to mention is no matter what, we may have a score of a movie, we may have an opinion of a movie, it's okay to disagree. And I know Jim, I know his takes on liking DC over Marvel, I know that he has some horrible takes, and we will disagree frequently, so feel free to disagree along with us. Yeah, just excited to get those hot takes out on the table for everyone to hear them. At the top of every episode, we want to do something that we deem to be a little unique to our podcast. We want to talk to you guys about what we're watching on, whether it be TV, Netflix, movies, anything we've seen in the past month that we want to either recommend or potentially say you can steer clear of this. So Jim, right now, what are you watching? Well, the most recent thing I've been watching pretty religiously is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, not a film, but is a TV show. Ran from 1997 to 2003. Uh, currently about halfway through the entire thing. Buffy, the titular Buffy the Vampire Slayer, has finally gone off to college. Uh, I guess I should say spoilers at the top of this, but it is from 1997. So if you haven't watched it by now, it's on you. Uh, she's finally gone off to college and has uncovered uh, this government organization operating underneath the college that uh, is hunting down demons and vampires, kind of stealing her mojo, uh, and has created a Frankenstein monster. We've been wow. enjoying it quite a bit, me and my uh, my girlfriend. And yeah, we're just keep crushing through episodes. They're super quick 40-minute episodes. I'd say so far, I feel that it's an 8 out of 10 for enjoyment. It's just super fun. And we finally have a Monster of the Week show where it's the young lady or the heroine instead of a hero or hero, excuse me, chasing away the monsters. It's unique in that aspect, especially for the time period. Uh, one thing we do want to mention off the top is Jim, Jim just mentioned there, his girlfriend, 
he's going to mention that often. I'm going to mention my girlfriend often as well. Um, they, most of the time of the shows that we love, probably don't tend to agree with often the shows that we love. That's just my opinion. Uh, but we have shows that we will watch together. So we'll talk about that as well. Yeah. And luckily this is one of those instances where she's been enjoying this quite a bit as well. So it's super easy to spend the time watching it and we'll watch two or three, four episodes at a crack as ridiculous right. as that sounds. Right. And you had mentioned earlier, you're watching uh, an original movie that a remake's coming out. What are, what are we watching there? Uh, recently, again, with my girlfriend, watched the original Dune from 1984. I ended up giving this one a six out of 10. It was, it, it tripped all my triggers for what I wanted out of a science fiction movie, right? Lots of backstory, lots of like neat intricacies to these two families that are one going after the other. Uh, just made for an interesting watch. The problem is all of this dialogue about the backstory on these two families, it was put in here in like voiceover and in conversation and it just made the film long and felt very plodding and yeah. like not a quick watch. So yeah. Angie gave it a much lower score than I did, uh, but I felt it was enjoyable. I think that the new one's going to be even better, but we'll get to more on that later. All right. All right. And so Scott, what have you been watching lately? So my obsession has become the Scream series. Now, this is created, believe it or not, by MTV, but it holds all the values of the Scream movies. It's followed a main character named Emma Duvall, and she's like the Sydney Prescott of said story. Um, it's got everything you'd think an MTV series would have in it, but you can mix into it the slasher killer that comes with Scream. And the first season, I'd say is like a solid six out of 10, but the second season, will keep you on your toes constantly. You will not know who the villain is by the end of it. And I think that's a nine out of 10. The third season, that's got my Scott skip. You can skip that season and you will miss nothing. Brand new story. And I don't think it's very good, but that's just my opinion. Now, yesterday also, I watched for the first time the movie, The Lighthouse. This is an A24 production. So if you know anything about A24, you're in for a weird movie. I mean. They've made likes of probably one of the scarier movies I've ever seen in Hereditary. And this movie kind of follows that slow burn type, just shocking imagery, uh, phenomenal acting, in my opinion, by Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. But I mean, it's there are some scenes in this where you're just wondering how did Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe get themselves into such a role? I mean, it's... I, I, I was reading up that Rob Pattinson and in sometimes would just be licking puddles on set. Like that's what he would do to get into this like crazy role that he had to get into. But um, this one's definitely got to recommend from me. I'd probably score it an eight out of 10. Um, it's, it's different. Uh, it's, it's definitely a psychological thriller, but um, again, shocking images. So probably not something you want to eat dinner with. Yeah. Angie and I watched that one as well a few months back, and I can say it definitely left an impression. The entire black and white uh, imagery the entire time, I think, honestly adds something as silly as it sounds. Um, again, can't echo enough how great Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe are. Yeah. Uh, and 
can't imagine how they would get into that headspace. Sounds like they did go a little crazy in their own right and just filming it. One interesting thing from that is I don't think I don't, I'm, I'm pretty sure neither of them were nominated for, for their roles in this. And this was back in 2019. Uh, I think that movie was kind of on the sides of almost too, too shocking to, to, to put into the category of potentially winning an Academy award. I think it was literally just too weird. I'm not sure that the movie got nominated for anything. No, the, yeah. the movie, let alone the actors. Right. And, and again, from an A24 picture, I, that's not very shocking. Um, again, they, there's uh, Midsommar and Hereditary. If, if you enjoy The Lighthouse, those are two movies you have to see. And both, again, just really shocking. You know, it's a different kind of horror. It's, it's not necessarily your, your slasher. It's not your ghost. It's not your paranormal. It's just kind of like that's something that doesn't happen. One coming from a cast of only two, right? Like, to give such impressive performances, only acting off of the the other person, makes it even more impressive. I also stand corrected; it was nominated for best achievement in cinematography. It did not win. And see, I can see that because some of the imagery in it was was phenomenal. Um, you know, it just the idea of a mermaid is very interesting, but. After this movie, I, I don't think you'll ever look at a mermaid the same. I don't think you'll look at a seagull the same. Absolutely and you probably not. Won't look, you probably won't look at a lighthouse the same. So um, definitely going to give a recommend on not only the Scream series. I, I, I know it looks stupid, but trust me, you got to give that one a shot. For the next segment on this podcast, we want to... Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, is that the hype horn? That's the hype horn. What are we getting hyped about? Uh, Dune 2020, so the remake of the original 1984 Dune movie, has dropped another trailer. Uh, I believe it came out about a week ago. And seriously, we're just hyped for this movie. Yeah, I feel I feel like this one's been coming out. It, this is a scenario where I've seen advertisements for a trailer. And, and I haven't seen that in a long time. I mean, we're talking about a tweet about seeing a trailer. So this must be a big deal. Now, I don't know practically anything about Dune. Jim's seen the original. I have yet to see the original. So my hype is like, I saw a giant worm at the end of the trailer and I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, the visuals look awesome as well. I feel like giant doesn't even cover it. They did such a great way, such a great job of showing the scale of the person up in front of the worm. And then the fact that in that scene of the trailer, like we're even talking about just one scene of the trailer, the worm is wider than what the camera lens will show. Like the thing is huge, which I, I thought was really cool. Going back to the 1984 one for half a minute, that was much tougher. It, it felt like that obviously the technology didn't exist to make this huge CGI worm. So they couldn't capture that scale. And that's part of what makes me so excited about this is just given the 30 years of technology, I think this is by default going to be a better movie. And I think uh, that that's something that we we are seeing more and more of is remakes because we have the technology now. I mean, look at look at Avatar. We're still waiting on Avatar 2. Is it coming? Who knows? But we're waiting because technology is getting better and better and James Cameron knows he can make an even better movie. So to see something be remade with the current technology that we have, I'm not against it. I, I agree. I, I think 
some remakes are good. Like when something failed originally like Dune, I think it's going to be much more. Yes. It, it's a better idea to remake it. However, I am not on board with all the Disney live action remakes. This uh, is a conversation for another day. Don't get me started on that. Mulan's $30 right now. That's absolutely atrocious to me, but, and there's no music in it. I didn't even know that. D- did you get shorted? Did you watch it? Did I you have pay not for seen it? it. I have not paid for it, but as soon as I heard that Eddie Murphy was not in, I was out. That's where I was out. No Mushu, no Scott. That's no what Mushu, they always no say. No Scott. I've heard it. I've heard it everywhere I go. Okay, what what's next on our hype? What's next on our hype horn? What what are we hyped about? Next thing we have coming up is according to Screen Rant, The Batman starring Robert Patton- Pattinson, excuse me, I'm going to butcher that. Heard of him? Uh yeah, he's gotten over his coronavirus and they've started filming again. Uh, the real question is whether or not the potential of any other cast members getting sick could possibly delay this further. They have a, an October 2021 release date set, so they in theory have time. The question is if the question is if every third like week they have to shut down again for a new star getting sick, are they actually going to make this date? This is the time we live in. I mean, you you look at at what's in theaters right now, and I swear, everywhere you look, it's the Tenant hype. And why is it the Tenant hype? Because Tenant was practically finished before COVID hit, and and now you're in the scenario of nobody can really film. I mean, you don't realize the amount of people that go into a set. I mean, probably at least a hundred, uh, and and that just can't happen right now. So. So I mean, if you're dealing with this de- this delay, it's it's almost like do you just wait, you know, a month and see if things improve? And if time has told us anything, probably not. Well, and I think what we're seeing as well is we've seen some smaller movies like The Hunt, I believe, Invisible Man, Trolls World Tour, all went with this. They, they went straight to video on demand. You could rent it for thirty dollars to watch it right then and there, and to go back to the Disney thing for half a second, you know, the reason people are so upset there is they're already paying for Disney plus. And then we have to rent the movie on top of it. Absolutely. Uh, Oh, and wait, they announced it's coming out to the regular subscription in December. But to me, that's the release date. That's it right there. Uh, If you're giving me a release date where I can pay $30 and you're giving me another release date where it's free, I don't even know what date you're talking about for $30. It's to me, it releases in December. Absolutely. I agree. All right. And what's our what's our final hype horn? What are we getting hyped about? Final thing, uh, the Bond 25, 2020 James Bond movie, or well, not 2020 necessarily, has released another trailer. Uh, what, uh, did we, what did you like about this trailer? Because I know we've talked about this and and I know that it, it gives us what we want in a Bond trailer and it doesn't give too much. Being a lifelong Bond fan from... The original Dr. No, all the way up through current, it gave me, like you said, exactly what I want. Fast cars, hidden guns behind headlights. Absolutely. James Bond in a car chase and a motorcycle chase Mm -hmm. that goes up a ramp and he jumps over a bridge. I mean, very cool. The acting may not be stellar in this, and Daniel Craig is likely looking to be done with this. I think he said as much that he didn't even want to come back for this one originally. But I can't say that this trailer doesn't have me incredibly hyped for this no brain action flick of part, part of this the hype. spy part of the hype. It has to be Remy Malik. It has to be Remy Malik to me because I, I don't ever vision him as a villain. I have not seen a lot of Remy Malik to me. He's a member of queen. 
that's about my extent of knowledge on Remy Malik. But to, I am very intrigued to see what he can do as a villain in a Bond movie. Yeah, I'm wondering if they're hiding him behind this mask and it is partially broken. And then they're in additionally putting on this prosthetic makeup, uh, a scarring on his face. Part of me wonders if that's going to hinder his acting ability. But like we just said, I don't really care about how great they act. I right. just want a, a dorky spy film. It's exactly what I'm looking for. The end of that trailer is is what you want. He he just stops his car and bam, there's machine guns in the headlights. What else do you want in a Bond movie? And then he just does a nice little burnout and probably kills like 30 people. That's the James Bond I want. Yeah. And what we can say also is there's been a big change between obviously the originals. It's been a franchise going, what, 40, 50 years, I think, if not more feel free to correct me if I'm yes, wrong. Yes. That it used to be a guy running around with a little Walther PPK, I believe a handgun. And now we've got a guy with uh, uh, machine guns behind the headlights of his car, or like in one of the Pierce Brosnan's Bro Brosnan ones, the car even turned invisible. Like seriously, we're, we're talking even different genres from beginning to end of this franchise. One, one last thing I wanted to talk about one thing that's on the high porn. It, we're going to put it on the high porn because it's the first episode, is Tenet. I know it's hard to get into a theater right now. I understand that. When I went to the theater, there were four people in it. Uh, obviously, the theater close to us is doing everything they can to keep everyone safe. Uh, we, could, we could go on with that for days. But when, when I went, felt safe. I was one of four people in the theater, uh, probably you know 30 feet away from someone. So I, I felt relatively safe in the theater, enough to see Tenet. And... I was confused. I'm going to throw that out there right away. I was confused. You know Christopher Nolan. You've heard of him. He's got some good movies. The Dark Knight. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a pretty good film. But he also has some movies where you're just scratching your head. Memento comes to mind as being one of the more confusing movies I've ever seen. I think Tenet tops it with confusion. 100%. But is it in a good way or a bad way? Because and, I've heard that this movie comes down in a very much so you love it or you hate it sort of that, situation. That is where I don't think it ruined it for me. Do I think there's holes in the plot? Hundreds, hundreds of them. But the action sequences that Nolan is able to film with going forwards and backwards in time at the same time is something that I don't think has ever been done on, on a screen before. And that's what really had me hyped was those action sequences. The, the score by Ludwig van Gerzen is incredible. It is absolutely incredible. It's, it's right up there with Hans Zimmer's. I mean, that's something Nolan does phenomenally is the sound. So you may not know what's going on. And, and I still don't know what I saw, honestly, it's something you have to see again, but it is something you need to see, in my opinion. It's got my recommend. I gave it an 8 out of 10, but I am a huge, huge Christopher Nolan fan, so we'll probably do, be doing a ranking list of Nolan someday at some point anyway. Yeah, I look forward to doing that as well. A big Nolan fan myself, specifically the Dark Knight trilogy, all very near and dear to me. Absolutely. I mean... It, this is this is just a little sprinkling of when you'll hear my favorite movies, but those will be mentioned 100%. This is it. This is what you're waiting for if you're seeing the title of this episode. It is our first review of Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street. This time of the year is special to me because it means that Halloween is close. 
And it means that it's okay to watch a scary movie at 3 p.m. Because it's almost October. It's the end of September. It's that time. A Nightmare on Elm Street, the monstrous spirit of a slain child murderer seeks revenge by invading the dreams of teenagers whose parents were responsible for his untimely death. Directed and written by Wes Craven and starring Heather Langenkamp, Robert Englund, and Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. Yes, he got his start through A Nightmare on Elm Street. We'll get into that and much more. Uh, but yeah, Johnny Depp was a name that stuck out to me as well. I I did not know that. Uh, I don't know if you did, Jim. I, I had no idea that this was his his original film. I saw it in the opening credits of the movie and that off. And I, I've seen this movie multiple times. I've seen it since I was a teenager and somehow never made the connection. Never. Well, you can't really tell that it looks like him, but you know, it, it, if, if you know that it's him, then you can tell that it looks like him. So we're going to start off the, the review with what we scored the movie, just so we can come back to our a reasoning behind our score. And Jim, I'm going to defer to you. What was your score out of 10? Our, our scale, sorry, let me back up a little bit. Our scale is a 10-point scale. It's it's a it's hard numbers, so no point fives, none of that nonsense. It's going to be a 1 through 10. So, Jim, give me your 1 through 10 ranking on A Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. I find this movie incredibly enjoyable. It has a lot of nostalgia for me. I've watched it as a teenager. It was probably one of the first horror movies I've ever watched. But in comparison to lots of... Uh, current movies and how it's aged this movie gets a six out of ten for me a six out of ten for probably one of the original slasher movies one of one of one of the original slasher movies and leading to my score similar take to jim i enjoyed it this is actually the first time i'd seen it i am a huge horror fan but when i grew up the only horror movies that i was watching were the ones that were with me as i grew up so like we're going back to Freddy versus Jason as being one of my first horror movies. And God knows that's not a good standard to set is starting there. So I gave it a seven out of 10. Not much variation there. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts uh, as, as we get into our opening credits and opening scenes. So we're, we're going to start off the movie. It starts off with a little, you get a little glimpse into Freddy's lair. It's, it's a boiler room type setting. And, and this was actually filmed in Lincoln Heights prison in, uh, in California. Um, one thing I want to say off the top, and just because I think it's going to be funny every time we go to this boiler room, that boiler room was filled with asbestos. Like everywhere they were filming was just, just poisoned air constantly where they were going. So it was almost a horror movie in real life for some of these actors don't want to do any research and find out whether or not that's true. That'd be terrible. If that, if that is a hundred percent true proven by IMDB, that is going to be a big source that you're going to see us come back to is we, we take a lot of, we take a lot of fun facts from the IMDB page. And you're hearing me say that slowly because I constantly say IMBD. I don't know why I just, I want to do it, but I'm, I'm reading from it. I'm slowing it down. I'll get used to it. Alrighty, back to our opening scene, Freddy's Boiler Room. Uh, lots of heavy breathing throughout this entire yes. opening credits. It was yes. unnerving and weird. And I, I, got a, I got a little Halloween flashbacks. You know, I got a little like, why is he breathing through the mask? He's not even wearing a mask. So what's this, what's happening? I, I mean, it, 
if there's one thing that's true, it's that this guy died in a fire is what we're going to find out. Maybe he's got breathing problems. I don't know. You don't know. We've we've all had grandparents who have smoked. So I think it's a similar scenario there. You know, uh, when Freddie coughs, it probably sounds like he's hacking up a lung because, well, he pretty much was a cigarette. So um, we start off with our our first character that we see is Tina. And she actually starts off in a dream with with Freddie. Um, one thing I want to point out, and I didn't count. I, I wish I would have gone back and counted. But there there's there's just sheep. There's sheep often in this movie, and and I just I didn't come to the conclusion for a long time. But then I was like, Scott, it's a dream. You count sheep when you're sleeping. Of course, I, they're running around. I mean, absolutely, Freddy's gonna fuck with you by by putting sheep in your dream, obviously. Um, but but we start with Tina, and and um, that you you kind of get this idea that Tina is the main character, and I think that's something. Craven does often. We're gonna we're Scream is another movie that does the same thing, and and there's some parallels there as to you think this is the main character, but it actually isn't. Yeah, so Tina is running through the boiler room, and my God, is Freddie terrible at chasing? He, he oh, can't yeah. run in a straight line. This teenage girl is outpacing him every step of the way, and it's barefoot in her nightgown. Like it's ridiculous. I, I think that's that's one of the things that I just love about Freddy, though, is he's this very scary-looking guy. But, like, when it comes to physical feats, he can get dominated by absolutely anyone. Like, he, he of all the horror villains, like, you have Jason, who, dude, can just take a machete, stab you into a wall, and hold you there. Freddy, he could get kicked in the face. Like, and it's just normal. He's like, ah, oh, that is what you're going to get constantly in this movie, is Freddy just screaming all the time. Because he can be bested, but his kills are still ever-present of just vicious kills that it makes him an awesome villain. But I love the way he can actually relate to being a normal human as well. Yeah, they definitely make him seem weaker than uh, than other habitual slasher villains, you know, specifically like yes. uh, Jason Voorhees. Yes. Now, Tina eventually does wake up from this dream. Um one thing that that we need to point out is Freddy attacks in your dreams. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of obvious for people who have seen this movie before. Uh, Freddy obviously gets you in your dreams, but that is kind of the reason why he's such a terrifying villain. Is you're just never safe around Freddy because you fall asleep, he can get you anytime. Yeah, there's absolutely no protection while you're asleep, and I think it it calls back to some of the thoughts of like when you're a kid, you're scared of your nightmares, and now that the these teenagers are honestly being attacked in their nightmares. It's, it's an interesting way to bring a childhood fear into an adult movie, you know? Right. And, and one thing we, we, we need to point out too, is the appearance of Freddie, because this next, this next statement I'm going to make is going to explain his appearance a little bit. He has this, this red and green, it's kind of like a Christmas sweater. It's definitely a Christmas sweater. <laughs> I don't know how they came up with this, but it's it's absolutely brilliant. Um, it it's just it's funny because he's like this vicious monster, but he still has to wear this absurd sweater and just these like cargo pants with the top hat. I I mean, incredible to me, incredible. Yeah. What we need to get into next though is uh, at the end of Tina's dream before she even wakes up, we're finally introduced to Freddy's weapon of choice. 
which is he has a glove that he manufactured himself with knives attached to all five of the fingers that he wears on one hand, not both, right. uh, which he finally does get a hold of Tina with a little bit. She gets away with just a couple of cuts in her nightgown when she finally wakes up. And did you catch the line that her mother says to her when she walks into the room? Tell me you did. Yeah, she says, uh, you got a dr- uh, everybody has bad dreams. Uh, did you get your nightgown with your fingernails? Yes, it, it, I wrote this one down to be exact because it was one of my favorites of the movie. Cut your fingernails or stop that kind of dreaming. Yes, so because we mom, all have control over the dreams we have. So the mom somehow thinks that she, she ripped her nightgown with her fingernails in this perfect fashion. And one thing I do want to point out, this mom, very minor role. Um, I think the only thing we hear about her is that she went to Vegas with her drunk-ass boyfriend. Yes, I'm pretty I sure believe that's, that's accurate. And and the husband at one point comes in and she's like, I'll be right back in in a minute. And you can kind of just tell that he's an asshole because he does the, Ugh, like, I got to deal with her daughter again type shit. That's what this guy is. So. I agree. And one thing I would like to point out, fingernails, more like finger knives. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Oh, that's oh. a bad joke. Goodness gracious. Okay. We, there's going to be a lot of those. Um, again, we do have backgrounds of being accountants, so there's going to be bad humor in this. Just deal with it. I mean... We, we can't get love... it out of our systems enough. That's the problem. Right. Right. Um, after after this scene, we're introduced to the song, and I, I want to just dissect this song for a little bit, because I think it could have won a Grammy, first of all. Uh, no. Um... A couple things that I was never able to actually slow down the lyrics of this song. I always knew one, two, Freddy's coming for you. I, I feel like everybody knows that line is one, two, Freddy's coming for you. Three, four, better lock your door. But this is the one. This is the one that I just, I never even put together. Five, six, grab your crucifix. Thoughts? He's clearly supposed to be aligned with some sort of incarnation of the devil that's what the the line references but we never get any of that in the movie there's no i mean there's one line where where i believe it's tina again says oh god and and freddie says something along the lines of i am and and i guess we've got a little bit of like him trying to be the devil there but but it's a passing fancy at best right so i i wanted to poke a hole in that song right away because we do see a lot of scenes with the crucifix, but we also don't really ever see him like being harmed with the crucifix or anything like that. So it's more of just, it's, it's a prop. It, it's right. not a point of the movie. Right. But right. Can we say though, that rendition of the chant, so creepy, the children that they got to record it. Absolutely. Top notch. If I were a small child watching this movie, that would have kept me up at night. I cannot so- lie. So let me finish the song, and then I and I have an awesome, awesome point on this song. Yeah, the seven eight is going to stay up late, and the nine ten never sleep again. I love, I love it. It's short. It's simple. It's it's great. It's it's scary. One just bizarre thing about this, Heather Heather Langenkamp. We're going to introduce her soon as Nancy. This song at the time was written by her boyfriend in real life. Her boyfriend was the one who came up with this song. So I just got to know, wh- how on earth 
are are they just sitting there doing their coupley things? Heather Langenkamp and boyfriend. Obviously, he's not the famous one. She is. How how do you come up with this? Uh, someone who's much more creative than me clearly came up with it. Obviously. I don't have a thing to do with rhyme, but why is this guy spending enough time that he's thinking about this? I understand your girlfriend's off working here, but one has to assume he's got better things to do. I'd be so curious to see uh, where he is now. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he's dead. I'm just going to throw that out there. Wouldn't be surprised. Would not be surprised. Okay. Moving, moving along into the movie, we're introduced to the rest of the characters and that would include, yes, Johnny Depp playing Glenn. Also, we're introduced to um, basically just a douchebag named Rod. That I, I think we're just going to call Rod a douchebag. I think that's pretty fair. I think it's accurate. Yeah. And finally, we're introduced to who ends up being the main character, Nancy, played by Heather Langenkamp. Yeah, I think, I, I think she does as good of a job as she can in the movie. I think she was a great choice. Uh Scott, you had told me that she was 20 years old at time of filming, but was playing a 15-year-old girl. Correct. Correct. And this is something that Hollywood does constantly. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with the show Friday Night Lights. It, if you sometime look up what the, all those actors played as high schoolers, it's like they were 26 years old playing a 17-year-old. So something you need to know is when you're watching a movie and or show, nine times out of 10, it's weird because of their age difference. It's just weird. Yeah, I mean, and additionally, one thing that they're obviously taking account of when they're choosing these older actors is uh, if you're 18 or under, there are rules about how much time you're allowed to spend working versus how much time you have to spend uh -huh. sp schooling. This was a big deal for the, uh, the stars of the Harry Potter franchise when they were first starting out, because I wanna say Rupert Grint was 12, and then uh, Emma Watson and Daniel Radcliffe were both 11. So they were legitimately aged for their characters. And so they would only be able to record for like, I'm just pulling numbers out of a hat, like five or six hours. And then they had to go to school for like six to eight hours. <laughs> They're people too. They, they are people too. Um, with the introduction of these characters, once again, they're walking into school. This is kind of how we see them. They ride in on a car and they're just walking into school. Another one of my favorite lines, this I believe comes from Tina to Nancy. You can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but she says, Hey, maybe we are going to have an earthquake or something. Things get weird before an earthquake. So obviously they were discussing their dreams and how things are getting weird. Have you ever heard this before? I never have, but as we both live in Wisconsin, I generally don't have to deal with earthquakes. You know, last one was uh, never. So you hear about dogs and stuff reacting pre-earthquake, but I don't know that I've ever heard of people reacting in yeah. such a way. I mean, some of this dialogue, I, I understand it. it was the 80s and it, dialogue wasn't nearly as important to a movie as, as it is now. Well, and especially but, a movie in this genre, right? Like, let's yes. be clear on what Wes Craven was trying to deliver. It's supposed to be a scary movie. Moving forward, we're gonna we're gonna jump to where um, Johnny Depp and Heather Langenkamp's characters uh, are gonna stay over at Tina's house for because she's scared. She's having these nightmares and she's just she's worried that something weird's going on. And and I believe this is where uh, we we find out that that Tina and Nancy are having the same dream. Yeah, there's discussion about how we all can be having the same dream. Or and when I say we all, we mean the characters and when Nancy finally brings this up a little bit to Glenn, uh, Johnny Depp's character, 
I feel as though his initial reaction is like, oh, that's ridiculous. How could we all be having the same dream? Uh, but also I think that he is having the dream. Otherwise it, he wouldn't have reacted as such. And I wonder where this comes from in his character to deny this. I don't, I don't really understand it. I mean, he kind of plays like a jock, sort of. Um, but but what what would what reasoning would he have to just be like, well, that's just crazy. I don't understand. I, I think it's a stereotypical macho high school boy trying to sure. be tough, right? Sure. He he doesn't want to admit that he's a having a nightmare or b that he's legitimately scared now that they are all having the same nightmare. He's trying right. to brush it off as a show of strength and to try and also I think to reassure her. And and this eventually they hear a noise outside. And Johnny Depp goes to check it out. I'm I'm probably going to call him Johnny Depp, okay? Like, Glenn, I get it. That's his name in this movie. But he's Johnny Depp to me. Once you see him as Johnny Depp, it's like, well, that's fucking Johnny Depp. So I'm going to call him Johnny Depp. He goes outside, and he has just a very strange moment here where he says, kitty, kitty, kitty. That's his first thing to call to see what's outside. He just assumes it's his cat. Uh, after which, he goes, chow, chow, chow. What was he trying? Was he thinking this was a cat, or is Chow Chow supposed to be a dog? I was See, confused, and that I was very confused as well. But it's just amazing to me that his first thought was Kitty Kitty. Anyway, this ended up being Rod, and he obviously tackles him, and he's like, he shows up, and they're like, "Oh God, what's he doing here?" Nobody likes to see him. But what we come to find out is that it appears that Tina and Rod have a very much so on-again, off-again relationship. It's, he seems it's... to be from the wrong side of the tracks to some degree. Uh, they put up with him just because Tina and him are, like I said, kind of sort of dating. Uh, but Nancy and Glenn slash Johnny Depp don't really care for him. And it's so interesting. They all seem to hate him and they're all like, oh, why is he here? At one point, Tina literally says... Do not leave me alone with this lunatic. And obviously, if this is in a modern era movie, this is a problem. This is a problem right out the gates, and it probably isn't written into a movie. Well, yeah, and she she plays it as a joke to some degree, right? Like, sure. But yes. in modern day society, that statement is taken much more seriously as it as should it be. Should. As it should, yep. And like you said, it's not going to end up getting written into a movie. Just kind of one small point on how the movie didn't age as well. And and this is common in 80s movies. I mean, you have constantly boyfriends who just play assholes and they're literally just there to have the teenage sex. That is literally what they're meant to do and then eventually get killed. That and it's is their, their only role. desire, right? Which is right. why they're so easy to kill off. But right. and it's maybe part, getting ahead of ourselves. It's part of the horror genre that made the 80s a little bit it was fun because it had a set script and and people kind of stuck to it a little bit of themes were created in every single horror movie that i kind of love that so well it's like the the stereotypical characters were what made these movies so recognizable as being from a time period and from say a director or whatever but the villains are where you got the big the big swings in character which to me is more exciting as ridiculous and over the top as the villains get and, and as we move forward, obviously, she she said, leave me alone with this lunatic. What do we hear next? Tina and Rod are upstairs doing what teenagers do, as, as so-called pointed out by this movie. And I have a new segment, Jim. I have a new segment that I want to introduce. It's called Scott's Not-So-Subtle Subtitles. Every time you hear this... 
the next line that comes out is going to be something ridiculous. Now, I think I think maybe this line isn't very ridiculous, and it's just kind of funny. But I wanted it to be my first line for this segment. And Johnny Depp is sitting on the couch, laying, holding his pillow, as these two are just having what sounds like incredibly aggressive sex. Like, that is what is going on upstairs. It's loud. It's ridiculous. And what does Johnny Depp say? But morality sucks. It's a ridiculous statement to make. And it's, again, playing to the one high school teenage boy desire that these characters in movies have. He's trying to make a statement. He's trying to make a move as ridiculous off-putting as the situation is and improper the move is at the time. (laughs) Which, which, uh, this all ends. Rod and Tina are laying in bed and she says to him, I knew there was something I liked about you, which I think that's just a funny line. Um, But here is where Tina realizes that Rod is also having the same nightmare. Yeah. It's, it's final confirmation for what we've obviously been suspecting. Seeing as on the car ride into school, they discussed it. We get the weird reaction from Glenn. Um, and then we finally get confirmation specifically from Rod. And no explanation of, or even inkling of how they could all be having the same dream about the same guy. Right. And this is where we, we get yanked into Tina's nightmare once again. I have a very funny thing I want to point out. Tina is awoken by Freddy. And and how was that done? But apparently Freddy is throwing pebbles at the window. And it's just such a funny idea to me that Freddy could be down there like throwing at random windows being like, "Uh oh, wrong window and just waking up somebody random. Like, I just think it's so funny that they choose to throw pebbles at the window. Um, When she eventually looks out the window, he's not there. But I loved that scene. Well, and the reaction is knowing that her, her, uh, boyfriend Rod is laying in that bed. She hears the rocks coming at the window. She goes to look, but then after she sees nothing, she proceeds to go downstairs and go outside. Which typical 80s horror, again, you have to see, you have to go explore to get killed, essentially. You have to make the stupidest decision possible when a stranger is outside of your house. And and between this, we do see probably, in my opinion, one of the most iconic shots of the movie is when directly where Nancy's crucifix was because earlier a scene in in the movie, it fell off the wall. The crucifix fell off the wall. So there's like a little connection to the song a bit, but you see Freddie kind of press himself against the wall and stretch it out and like appear over the top of her. Almost as though it's rubber. And this is, this is one of those things where I think it could be more connected to the, the God versus the devil thing, even though again, passing, he's like, reaching down as though he wants to dive right into her head. And I I think it's one of the, I I think it is the coolest shot of the movie. It's creepy. It's scary. Uh, The only thing is I have a problem knowing that he has knives on one hand that are not then going through through this wall. Like it's, it's 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 cool and ridiculous at the same time. Right. Right. And so, so that kind of scene happens. There's nothing really that happens to Nancy here. Um, just that little kind of, there's some sort of connection between her and Freddie a little bit. Like there's going to be a little rivalry going on. Uh, but here we, we then, Tina's walking outside because again, she has to hear what the noise was. Yeah, and, gotta wander down an alley. And one of my favorite shots of this movie is, is she sees Freddie in the alley and he comes running at her with just like, I wrote down in my notes, Inspector Gadget ass arms. Because they're just wobbling all over the place. Like, they're yeah. these long, 
elongated arms. They extended his arms. I think they have to be eight feet on either side. He's reaching both sides of this alley. He's running down, scraping his knife, fingernails across one. But I was reading, they put these, attached them to Robert Englund on his shoulders, and they were made with fishing lines, fishing poles, holding each hand up that were held over the fences on either end of the alley. And then the, the two people with the fishing poles would run with him, hence why they kind of bounce in this nonsensical manner as he's running down the alley. And honestly, I mean, you rewatch that scene, you can definitely tell that they are fishing poles. But that again, there's something with 80s horror is they didn't have the effects that we have nowadays. So it looks ridiculous, but like it, it was fun. It, but know, I don't was, even think they cared. They loved no. it. Right, because it, it pushed the boundaries of what a normal movie was. Um, and here again, again, something I think that makes Freddy so normal is like Tina at one point, she she's getting attacked by him, but she tackles him. Like she's just straight straight up like hits him. Uh, but But then she like is on the ground and rips his face off. And then there's just another face behind it. Oh boy, and that's bad too. It's oh, clearly a piece of plastic over a plaster skull, and man, is it rough. 1984, though, so it gets a pass. I mean, that's it's hard to recreate anything like that. Um, and I I believe at this point is when, it, it might have been before this, but Freddie looks at her and goes, hey, Tina, and he just cuts a couple of his fingers off. Um, and they start squirting green blood, of all things. Yes, classic, classic. Classic Freddy, just to be kind of like, hey, this is disgusting, and just to freak someone out. Um, and obviously, this is all leading up to Tina's death. And let's talk about the death scene. Jim, I'm going to let you set this one up. Well, we immediately flash away from this scene in the backyard, and Tina's now back asleep. Uh, in bed with Rod, who is still there, also asleep, apparently not dreaming. Tina starts thrashing around before finally floating up the side of a wall before she gets stabbed. Freddy is quote unquote invisible for all of this or is in her mind. And she, her, her nightgown is now the least of her worries is what I'm trying to say. Um, as Rod finally wakes up to her screams, she's pushed up into the ceiling corner of the room and he, just screaming. You know, this could have been a five second scene, could have been a 10 second scene, but no, it went on for what felt like minutes as Rod just watches and the rest of the house is awoken. And to me, I think this is, it's scary. I mean, if you see, if you had seen this in 1984 and this was kind of like, you know, one of your first exposures to horror, this is kind of a scary scene because it, the longevity that you just mentioned to us now, it's a little ridiculous because we're used to movies that just rip people apart. That's kind of like the, the new horror way. But I, I mean, just her and Rod, him screaming, Tina, Tina, like probably... 10 times was just, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty impressive to me. I impressive is a word for it. Overkill might be another. Uh, sure. <laughs> sure. But like you, we had mentioned that kill count in this movie is very low. So they yes, needed, this is only the first one. So they needed to, to really get a lot out of this because you're not going to see that many of them. So, right. And we can say that the, the, the majority of the other scares are on, Freddy's part when he's around instead of being physical trauma or psychological trauma to the actual characters in the movie. Much more of it is like gags done right. by Freddy that are meant to scare instead of actual kills. 
And and moving moving on from this kill, obviously this looks like Rod did it because nobody else is there to make it seem like they killed her. I mean, obviously Freddy is basically from the underworld, so he's not there to see it. And Rod escapes through the window. Um, and Nancy and Glenn are outside of the room realizing that the door is locked. Yes. Uh, Glenn, yes. Johnny Depp, finally breaks the door down and the room is empty other than Tina's body. Yes. Lots of blood. Lots of blood all over the walls. Um, and here we're introduced to Lieutenant Donald Thompson, who's played by John Saxon and is actually Nancy's dad. Uh, he is the police, I believe he's like the police chief of the entire town, which we're never told the town name, I believe. It seems very quintessential California medium-sized town. Yes. You know, lots of sets that look like they could be right on um, like a Hollywood back lot. Lots of like very standard looking buildings. Um, nothing too special to set it apart. So I don't think they really needed to mention where it was supposed to be. Right. Yeah. The, the important thing is that the nightmare happens on Elm Street. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Um, with, there's something I want to point out. That, so... We meet we meet the police chief. He's kind of just pissed off that like she was at Tina's house in the first place, hanging out with Rod, who's some proven criminal as is. You know, they, so they're looking for Rod. And the next day, Nancy walks downstairs, and on the TV, this is this is another one of my favorite shots of the movie. They're showing that she she got murdered, like just straight up murdered, and they're showing her body being wheeled out. And like her arm kind of flops down and the EMTs just kind of rush and push it back in. But you get to see her just mutilated corpse just on a gurney. And they're just like, oh, put that arm back in there all on live TV. Well, and additionally, what you notice is they announced her full name right there. You know, there, there was no even semblance of like, we're withholding the names for, uh, for privacy of the victim, which is something that would actively happen even in movies nowadays. Yeah. And... And so we're, we're moving to Nancy going back to school, which her mom's kind of like, why are you going to school? And Nancy wants to go anyway, because plot, you know, we need to keep it moving. Um, but she, so she's in class learning about Shakespeare. And who's the teacher? Did you notice who the teacher was? I did not notice. You're paying way oh. closer attention to these side characters than I am. So I, are you familiar with the Insidious movies? I've seen the first one. I heard they go downhill rather quickly. Accurate description of where those movies head, yes. But there is the old woman in in the first movie, and she's kind of like the all-knowing of what's going on. That's who this is. That is who this teacher is. That is Lynn... Shay. Lynn Shay. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Um, but so she's, she's the teacher in this, and Nancy kind of is in and out of sleep during class while they're learning Shakespeare. And eventually um, she's kind of just like, you know, I need to go use the bathroom or I need to hall pass or something like that, I believe. Yes. This is continued from the Shakespeare scene. But what we come to find out is she's actually asleep. She's yes. not physically asking for a hall pass and the teacher just lets her go. Right. And eventually she absolutely trucks this girl in the hallway. And, and do you know what kind of sweater she's wearing? She's wearing a red and green dirty striped sweater with a, a name badge that says hall monitor. Was, were those actually a thing in the 80s? I, I wish I, someone would tell me. I feel like they were. I'm, I'm going to have to call my dad and ask. 
or my mom, but I feel like they were, and it just makes me feel better that they were. Yeah, it, it really speaks to making sure that you know what the purpose of this girl is. In her 30-second role, we know that she is monitoring the halls. We understand why she's there immediately, because she's labeled. And and what? so she, she's walk, running down the hall, and I believe when she, she hits this girl, it turns out to be Freddie, and he says no running in the halls. I believe that is something that is said. Um. He, Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, he does say that. And he he disappears, I believe. And then it flashes to uh, Nancy in a body bag, or uh, Tina in a body bag, excuse yes. me. Yes, and this is something I believe we see more than once in this movie, is kind of seeing Tina's dead body, and eventually when certain others die, we, we see them in the dreams. And eventually, Tina's walking, or sorry, this is Nancy, she's walking down to the basement of the school, and because that's where you'd wander to, of course. Absolutely. And what does it? What is there a sign downstairs on the basement of the school? But no kids allowed. Did you did you catch that one? Yes, I believe I have that one written down. So, is this just an area that is supplies? Like, is there? I mean, well, given the one thing that in this universe, in this movie, the one thing that teenagers like to do is uh, be physical with each other. So they probably Absolutely. caught one too many kids, you know, spending time down there with their significant others. So hence the sign. But I think we're probably reading way too much into it. More than likely. And you'll you'll catch us doing that pretty often. Uh, but this is, this is kind of Nancy's first, I believe Nancy's first introduction to Freddy. And there's a couple of... Uh, somewhat shocking scenes in in when she does finally get introduced to him uh one he cuts himself open and what there's just green pus and maggots and and, and maggots pulling right out of his chest he takes his knives across the chest for whatever reason he clearly is like invincible to some degree even though we've seen him get beat up by teenagers in dreams so it, it's this weird dichotomy of uh really aggressive invincibility being able to harm himself without actually harming himself and children being able to take him out. And, and I think what, what most of the time they were thinking was, this is just a dream. Nothing can really happen. And, and Tina's death obviously proved otherwise, but one example we see where this like actually translates into the real world is to wake herself up in this dream. She's getting pushed all over this boiler room and eventually well, and she gets transported from a regular basement to the boiler room, right? Yes. This is a dream. Even though she wasn't in a boiler room, it transitions there uh, in and of its own volition. When she ends up in the boiler room in order to wake herself up, you were going to say. Yeah. She, she actually takes her arm and puts it onto one of like the actual pipes in the room to burn herself. And she wakes up screaming. And to me, this is another iconic scene is she's just screaming her head off in the middle of, Shakespeare class here and and the teacher is just like do you need to go home and she's like yeah I do and what does the teacher say to her you'll need a hall pass and I actually I really enjoyed that line because it was kind of like a little bit of a callback to how Freddie was scaring her in the first place right and you also see one of the more important things is now that we know she's awake for sure you see the exact same burn on her arm yes damage that happens in the dream is damage happening in real life obviously Tina died but we didn't know whether or not that would translate into 
uh, in this instance, a self-harm sort of situation in order to wake yourself up, or if uh, other physical things happening there would happen outside as well. Right. And so after this, uh, Nancy feels the need to go see Rod in jail. And I have a question. Do the police just let her see a murder suspect? Oh, absolutely. They let her right in and let her sit right outside of his cell. It's why, do you, why do we think that this is a bad idea? I, I, I noticed that right away and I was like, yeah, they're just going to let him talk, I guess. Uh, another thing I had noted in this scene is Rod is wearing, you know, a greaser type jacket, black leather jacket with a shirt underneath. It's a stellar jeans. jacket to say the it's least. It's great. It's great. But did you notice in jail, he is sweating his ass off, but he refuses to take the jacket off. You know, it's one of those cold sweats in the middle of California. Absolutely. I just I just found it great that to protect his image, he had to keep wearing, he had to be wearing that jacket. But um, um, so uh, eventually uh, we hear we hear this song again, and the song is going to be a theme throughout the movie. One, two, Freddie's coming for you. She, I believe she's in a bathtub at this point now. She well, goes, and before we even get there, I'm sorry to roll back for a second. Yeah. Rod confirms while he's in jail to Nancy that he's been dreaming about the same guy and confirmed that Tina told him about her dream. So, so uh, we're all connected now. Nancy is putting the pieces together to some degree. Except for Glenn, because Glenn, uh, he has to mansplain that that's not happening. Yeah, he's uh, a lion, lion piece yeah. of junk. So so then eventually we we go back and Nancy's in the bathtub. She's hearing the song again, like the dreams are all connecting. Her mom says, I've heated up some warm milk for you. Uh, Yuck. Absolutely well, disgusting. Milk is not that great in the first place. And now you're going to warm it up? Absolutely not. And I mean, this is something that warm milk, I believe, is supposed to make you fall asleep. And it's weird because her mom says, don't fall asleep in the tub. But it's, it's almost like she's trying to get her to fall asleep. Very strange. Another thing she says about this is that hundreds of people get killed like that a year. Falling asleep from drowning in their tubs. I, I, I think I want to take big issue with this. I do too. Because the moment you slide under the water while you're asleep, you want to know what you can't do? You can't breathe. And you want to know the first thing your brain is going to do to rectify this issue? Wake you right up. And, and to me, you know, I, I guess I just, I just don't understand where, I want to look this up. I want to know if even anyone died like this last year. And, and you know, when I think that I will look it up and it'll probably be at least 15. That's probably what's going to be happening. Uh, but I guess I just rely on humanity a little too much in thinking that that's not going to happen. Um, but eventually we see, I think we see a shot of Freddie's hand coming up while she's in the bathtub. And, yeah, it's Freddie shark. And, and so she kind of does start drowning in this bathtub. So it's like, God, the mom might've been right. Um, but she eventually wakes up and the mom is kind of like, are you okay? What's going on? And she's just totally shrugs it off to her mom. Why? I think she doesn't want to admit she's scared of her nightmares because before she went off to school, I believe her mom made a comment. You didn't sleep at all last night. Did you, you know, right. Can you blame her for not sleeping? She just saw her or saw her friend's murdered body. I, that's not something you sleep off right away. Right. So, it appears she's been actively trying to avoid sleep now. It She doesn't want to admit she's having nightmares because what teenager wants to admit they are, so she lies to her mom. Yeah, and, and here we see Nancy starting to take some measures to try to stay awake. 
including a specific drug. I want to say it just said stay awake on it. Also fast acting. Oh, fast acting, stay awake. Yes. Uh, Awesome. Uh, I love that part. Is that real? I never fact checked it. Probably not. Um, But then eventually we get, she's going back to her room. She's trying to stay awake and she walks to her window. Was there a tapping on her window before this happened? I didn't hear a tapping, but she does have a phone in her room. Uh, we find out that Glenn is on the rose trellis outside of her window and is either tapping or had previously called to let Nancy know that he was coming over to say hi. I see. Okay. So, cause see, I thought he was just standing out there and just kind of waiting for her to open the damn window. And it's entirely possible that it's a plot hole, a silly little plot hole, but I, I think we're meant to just go with it, suspend our disbelief for a couple of minutes. Right. And, and here we get the line that you and I both geeked out about uh a little bit and i you know i think i think this is gonna call for a little bit of english motherfucker do you speak it a little scots not so subtle subtitles nancy says as she's looking in the mirror she slaps both her cheeks and just goes god i look 20 years old yeah i i couldn't i couldn't stop laughing after this as guys who are in their mid to late 20s now it, it just felt hilarious that a teenager is even worrying about it. Uh, we know that everyone worries about the way they look, but a, fif- a 15-year-old character worrying about this, and which is when you informed me. She's actually 20 years old. So this was kind of a little bit of play on herself. And does, does that mean it was improv? I don't know. Was this Wes Craven's idea? Probably. I, who knows? But um, she actually was 20. So that makes the line a little bit more funny because she was born in 64 and the movie aired in 84. Uh, but eventually what, what we're learning here is she's really concerned about what's going on in the dreams. But this is where I have written down Nancy's a badass. And, and why I think that is because she just straight up says, I want to hunt Freddy. Like, that's her first thought is I'm going to hunt this dude. And so yeah, she's a total badass, man. Yeah. She's putting together a plan already. Yeah. And I, don't get me started on her booby traps. We'll get there. But wow. Uh, but so, so what she asks Glenn to do in this scene, they're, they're in her room and she's going to fall asleep. And she said, Glenn, wake me up if I look like I'm struggling. So, so she's kind of going into this dream to hunt Freddie. And this is kind of where, I, I got a little bit confused because you see her go into this dream world and she goes, Glenn, are you there? As she's running down the street and he pokes behind this tree and just goes, yeah, I'm still here. At, what am I missing there? She's been transferred into the dream and her plan in dream was to run down the street to see if Freddie jumped out at her. And but for whatever reason, her mind is like, Glenn's here too. He's following me so that he can take Freddie out when he tries to jump yeah and and i believe she says the term cold cock him i don't know if that's now but i believe that was accurate phenomenal line um so i kind of just enjoyed that scene of like glenn kind of being there hopping behind the tree like letting her know he's okay but we actually somehow end up going towards the police precinct again Uh, yeah she can just walk there from her house apparently yeah and so she's in her dream technically walking towards the Am I right? She's still in the dream when she sees Freddy the first time walk through the bars of the jail towards Rod. 
Right. But the more interesting piece of that to me is that there is a window that looks immediately down into the cells in this police. And naturally it's Rod's cell, obviously. Yeah, he's right in front of the window. Not to mention that this is not super secure, um, that anyone can look down in there and see, oh, who's who's in there today? But he just is conveniently there. Right. I I think the gag where Freddy then goes into Rod's cell is actually done really well. He melts through the bars. It's not like a, he's not divided into sections. He just phases through them. And I think it's one of the better looking things in the movie, just because they tried to not get too fancy with it. Right. And I think this is followed by another uh, visual because she ends up going back to her room, like right before she wakes up and Freddie like jumps directly through the mirror. It, it, I think I have this time. Was it hanging on the the mirror hanging on the back of her door? Yeah. Yeah. He jumps right through it. And, and on, on IMDB, we learn this is one of the first times that a breakaway mirror was used in, in a movie. So this is right. Cause you're not going to send a guy through an actual mirror. Right. And this is a shot you see constantly in movies. Now I feel like it's very frequently done. So nightmare on Elm street kind of paved the way for this. Um, but then obviously she wakes up, she gets pissed at Glenn who fell asleep because he's not really that reliable. Glenn's not that reliable. Yeah. Johnny Depp cannot just sit there and watch her sleep. He gets too bored. Yeah. And so, but she saw Rod get attacked in a dream. So she has to come down to the police station, which is where her father works. And, and just demands to see him. Right. And of course they're like, well, all right, but we have a man who lost the keys. And any good movie, you have to have someone who can't find their keys. Oh, especially in a horror movie. It's the worst thing you ever do. You lose the keys to your apartment, to your house, to your car. It's a bad day. We all know that. Let alone losing the keys to the jail cells in a police precinct. How irresponsible. Once the keys are finally located, all four of our crew here, Joe Blow, Officer, uh, Officer Dad, Nancy and Glenn all go storming into the cell block uh, where the the viewer sees Freddy or invisible Freddy stringing Rod up by his sheets in his jail cell from the bars above him. As everyone else is looking down below at the lock, even though there's a window in this door, they all miss it happening. Yes. And, and I think this is perfect because, you know, it still plays to the side for the cops. Like, yeah, this is still could have clearly been Rod because he, you know, he got a little guilty and hung himself. So it, it advances that plot line of the story. But what we need to realize is Nancy came sprinting in right as he hung himself. So the cops need to put this together. There's no reason why she couldn't have told them right. um, of what she saw or what she was expecting to see. However, they would have thought she was nuts. Yeah. And so this is our second kill. And I got to say... For a guy like Rod in this movie, a little disappointed. It was just a hanging scene. It was way too simple. Yeah. Uh, given that most people would term this to be a slasher, hence uh, the claws or the knives on Freddy's one hand, it was a simple death. He but can do also, better. it was left in a way that uh, no one should know it was Freddy. Right. And so I think that's what he was going for. He didn't want to make him explode through the chest in a freaking jail cell because then they'd kind of have an idea of what's going on here. Um, but as... After this happens, we we check Nancy in to essentially a mental hospital. 
because a she, sleep disorder hospital. Yes, sorry. It things. says it says the mental hospital for sleep disorders on the sign. And let me just pause for a second and and show you how far we've come with mental health. Because I mean, in this movie, I think they were being serious. I, I definitely think they were serious. And the the solution to nightmares was thought to just be purely in inside of her head, so to speak, as opposed to being due to some of the trauma she suffered in real life. After witnessing two people be killed, we would think that this is not just like a problem with her sleep. It's a problem with what she's she's seen and she needs to address those those uh, those feelings about it. And a little fun fact here, uh, the nurse in this scene, the female nurse, is actually Mimi Craven, who at the time was Wes's wife. So that's just a little fun trivia fact. Um, so just you just kind of snuck her in there. She really didn't have a role at all. I don't think she said a thing. Yeah, she got some work out of the gig. Um, and I think straps uh, Nancy in, yes. maybe, or yes, administers does. some drugs. I'm not sure. Right. And, and here you have eventually they're they're going to put Nancy to sleep so they can kind of see what's going on. And Nancy's mom is in this room with the so-called medical doctor. And she asks him, what are dreams? And essentially, this is the medical doctor's answer. And this was an actual quote, incredible hocus pocus. Yeah, we don't know what dreams are, he right. goes on to say. And so, so that's kind of wh where we're at with the level of of mental health here is we just kind of assumed it was all in her head and like we're strapping these like iodes onto her to kind of figure out what's going on and it's just kind of a ridiculous looking scene but eventually nancy does get to sleep and the doctor makes up some sort of weird scale for what a nightmare is it's like 0.06 or something it's plus five or minus five anything outside of that bounds would be considered to be a nightmare and, and event, she starts off with three, three, three. The doctor's saying like she's having threes. And then suddenly shit just goes off the charts. Every single possible fake medical device is beeping. Yeah. Uh, the lines on what is supposed to be an EKG just start going wild. And and here, when we don't really see into her dream in this, in this sequence. We kind of just see she wakes up. The first thing I noticed, which I can't believe I didn't notice the other thing first. But the first thing that I noticed was her gray hair. Yep, yep, she gets a streak of Reed Richards' hair, but only on one side. And that is also what her mother noticed first. No concern over the dream, just the fact that her hair has changed colors. And I, I don't really get that. I don't understand that. Why she... Why that's what she latched onto, or why it happened. Why? Because well, I don't understand either reaction. Yeah, and, and she also brought back in the dream Freddy's hat. And, and Which she then reveals, pulls it I, out from under the covers... And what does the mom say, but what are you trying to prove here? Did she think she came into a mental hospital with this dirty-ass hat hidden yes, somewhere? Yes, yes, she snuck it in there. That's how it, this worked. So she thinks Nancy's just, like, pulling her leg or something here, and it's, like, the worst momming I've ever seen. Like, just, just totally denial that her daughter's clearly going through some shit here. Or, I mean, when someone says, I just pulled this out of my dream, what are you supposed to say? We all know that that's not real. I get that, but again, it's 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 just odd that they think she's making this up because, again, how would she pull a hat into there? She was naked under her nightgown, so, like, where's it coming from? Not even going to give ideas, but I just don't understand. 
yeah, why the reaction is that she's lying or trying to hide something. Yeah, and eventually, so so this scene passes, and we we learned a lot about mental health in the eighties, which was practically non-existent. And or at uh, least movie mental health. Yeah, yeah, and um, we we get to a little bit of an argument with uh, with Nancy and her mom, and comes probably one of the worst slap scenes I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, it was very clearly faked. It, I looked, so I looked into this. She did actually get slapped in in trivia in in an actual interview about this movie. She said she got slapped. There's no way they used the take that she actually got slapped in. No, they they had to have used something else. It looked so poor. Yeah, and um, she keeps so so. Eventually, we finally find out. I believe that the mom knows who Fred Krueger is. Yes, his name was written in the hat. Yes, and and so. She, but right here, for some reason, the mom keeps saying, you'll feel better when you sleep. You'll feel better when you sleep. You, you get this line over and over again. And, and I don't know why the mom's saying it. Obviously, she's worried about her. But if she knows she's seeing Fred Krueger here, I don't think she's going to feel better when she sleeps. Well, and what her mom doesn't know is when, when the mom knew Fred Krueger in real life, he wasn't some dream monster. He was a real guy. Right. You know? So, I mean how is she supposed to know that like sleeping is actually where she's making her daughter most vulnerable? Yep. Um, in the next scene, we move on. Uh, Nancy is coming home from visiting with Glenn and we see that her mother has now installed bars on all of the windows and the door. Help me out with this one. Why? She's clearly trying to keep her daughter in, you know, when something is going wrong with a teenager, it's clearly because they're out late at night. It's clearly because they're spending too much time with their friends or having too active of an imagination. I Why think, she believes this, God only knows. I think somebody needs to call CPS on Nancy's mom because we also something we haven't been saying is she's got vodka stashed throughout the fucking house. She's been aggressively day drinking, uh, just constantly drunk, and I think at one point, at one point, a bottle was smashed. I mean. Just Nancy's mother is absolutely reckless and she hears about Fred Krueger and doesn't really blink that much. Like it's, you know, like she's not surprised. She So when she comes home, sees all these boards, finally Nancy's mom's like, okay, I'll tell you what we did. And here is where we learn that the parents of Elm Street essentially saw Fred Krueger just, he was killing kids. That's what yeah, he was and he went to uh, went to trial, but got off on a technicality. Yeah, and so I mean that's that's a pretty sick thing. Like you can kind of see why these parents did this, and and you can kind of see why they would want to kill this guy because it's a murderer living on your street. Like it was very clear that he did it. So um, what what kind of happens is they essentially just light his house on fire. Yeah, the boiler room, which is that we keep going back to. He was living in this boiler room. Yeah, and. And somehow she has his knife hand stored in her own furnace. Are they just not using that? I know it appears to be California, but it gets cold enough to need. A I don't understand how she got this hand. If the basement was on fire and why she got it and why she decided to keep it. And I, I think a weird we, little trophy. We need a little bit more of an origin story on the glove hand and you know, how Freddy kind of started. If you, if you watch the later movies, there was eventually a remake of this movie and you get a little bit more on the origin side, but like, this is not enough information. We need a little bit more. Um, but 
um, after this, we kind of we kind of have a scene where I believe Nancy calls Glenn, and Glenn is wearing what '80s high school football players wore, which is a crop top men's jersey. And I'm just going to say something: we need to bring those back. We- yes, my dad bod needs to be in a crop top. That's <laughs> those- what I, I know everyone's asking for it. I can make it happen. We those- just need to first get these crop tops back in style. Look back at the Miami Hurricanes football team. Dwayne the Rock Johnson used to wear this. It, it barely went above, like it barely, it barely went below your pectorals. I mean, it, it's just an incredible look. And and this is where uh, we we again have Nancy who's trying to hunt Freddie. Like she wants to hunt Freddie with Glenn. So she's calling him. And another line I have written down is she says, you won't mind cold cocking this guy when I wake up. And and she follows it with a little bit of what I think makes Wes Craven brilliant is she says, he Glenn asks her, he's like, how am I supposed to do that? And she goes, you're the jock, grab a bat or something. So something Wes Craven does really well is he kind of identifies what character... What, what role a certain character plays in a horror movie. Like he understands that this guy's the jock. This is what you're supposed to do. I love Yeah. That. In these more simple horror movies, everybody has to fall into an archetype other than generally your hero, right? Nancy yeah. is kind of out there a little bit, yeah. but Rod was the greaser to some degree. Uh, Tina was just another high school girl. They, she didn't get much characterization as she died off so early. And Glenn is your stereotypical jock to most degrees. And, and eventually uh, we, we go back to Nancy where I've j- I just put in here she's ODing on these awake pills. She's just hammering them. There's got to be a point where you're taking too many of them. I mean, they're in essence just caffeine tabs. Right. And we all know that uh, too much caffeine is not a good thing. I, um, I, I love this scene, though, because they, it shows three coffee cups and then just the pot. So she kind of was like, I'll start with cups of coffee, but then just said, fuck it, and, and just drank it. Yeah, she pot. brought a pot up there. But yeah. the, 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 the even better, the extension of this extreme amount of caffeine, her mom comes in, takes the coffee cups, takes the coffee pot and says, you should go to bed or something to that effect. Leaves, turns out the lights. Nancy closes her eyes, immediately opens them back up as soon as her mom leaves and pulls another coffee pot out from underneath her nightstand and puts it up on top. She had I two did, coffee pots in her room. I did not see that, and that is absolutely brilliant. Uh uh, one of my favorite scenes though comes here. Glenn's dad is outside and he's like sipping a beer, just staring at these windows and the his brand little, new bars on the windows. Yeah. And he's, he's just like, what the hell's going on over there? And I just love the realness of it. Like he's just staring at it and like, what are they doing? And can we take a second to talk about these huge mansions that are in California? Oh, yeah. You know, compared to Wisconsin, like we have relatively moderate moderate house prices, but these houses would have to be $2 million a piece. Yeah. And I don't think that uh, Day Drinking Mom and her ex-husband, the police officer of small town California, can purchase that house. Right. But that's neither here nor there. And, and eventually we learn here that Glenn's dad thinks that Nancy's crazy. Obviously, that's justified. And she, so she calls Glenn's house because she can't get a hold of Glenn. And and the mom picks up is like, you want to talk to Glenn? But then the dad's just like, no, you can't. And he le- hangs up and then leaves the phone off the hook. What a relic of a pastime when you had a landline 
and you could just make sure no one called you by leaving the phone off the hook. What I would do to have that on a cell phone. I know yes. they can say you can block numbers, but uh, oh gosh, this would just be amazing because I love dodging responsibility. It's one of my favorite things to do. And and the ability to just leave your phone off the hook and just say, fuck it, I'm done for a few hours. That's all, that's amazing. A few um, hours overnight, yeah. you know, whatever it takes. The, the thing to me, though, that seems a little bit confusing is this likely wasn't a time where you were billed by the minute. And right. would leaving it off the hook bill you for those minutes? I, I never had so. a phone plan back in 1984 as I wasn't born yet, but I'd like to know. Yeah, and, and eventually we... We have Nancy just trying to reach him as many times as she can calling. And she breaks the phone, right? Yanks the cord right out of the wall. And she she says, oh, no, what if Glenn tries to call? (laughs) That's her first thought after breaking the phone. And so she's walking out of her room, but then the phone rings. And it's off the hook, so it's like, what the hell is going on? It's Freddy. Freddy is calling on the phone. And we have another very... I would say somewhat iconic scene of of it's Freddie on the phone and he just goes, I'm your boyfriend now and a little tongue and mouth. The end of the of... phone turns into Freddie's mouth and chin and he sticks his very plastic looking tongue out at her. At her. And it's absolutely brilliant. Um, I, I love it. And, you know, I, I think that's one thing that, that that kind of worked pretty well in the movie. It was kind of a stupid gag, but like the idea of it's just kind of gross. Like a phone, you never think something's going to come out of it. But I think this movie paved the way for that in the future because it happens in many other movies. Here's um, one thing I want to bring up about it, though. Yeah. Is Nancy asleep when this happens? I don't... I See, and I agree. I thought the same thing. I don't think she is. Yeah, and, so how did he get control over this phone even though she's not asleep? I think see, it's... A, I think it's a missing point here. We see a couple of connections between the the real life and the underworld that Freddy lives in between Nancy and Freddy. So it's not like it's not that unbelievable to think like hey, you know, he broke into her world a little bit, but it doesn't really fit the plot. So I I was kind of confused on that as well. Yeah, but what we flash to next I like even better than Freddy's mouth on the phone. Yeah, I think this is probably... To me, this is one of the best uh, on-screen deaths ever. Yeah. We flash to Glenn lying on his bed. He's got headphones on, listening to a record, I believe. And he's watching TV with this relatively large boob tube TV sitting right in his lap, laying in bed. He's asleep, and all that you see falling into a pit inside of his bed. A hole opens up underneath him and he falls right in. It's a simple kill, but the next piece is what makes it recognizable. As soon as he's completely consumed, the hole stays there and it immediately starts spouting this, this ri- ridiculous amount of blood. What we co- Oh, go ahead. It's just incredible to me the way you see the blood flowing upward and hitting the ceiling and just kind of moving in each direction. Almost as though it's puddling, as if that were the floor. Yeah, and and I think this is this is kind of something that wasn't really done before. I mean, this is a really extreme, brutal death, and and like you, but go it's to... all off camera still. Like it's yeah. brutal, but it's not right? right, which I think is interesting. And I, a little fun fact on this: five hundred gallons of fake blood, five hundred gallons. And if you see the scene, it's not that unbelievable. I mean, it's a literal like a fire hydrant got hit and blood is just flying out of it. 
what I'd really love to know, and I'm not sure if it's out there, is how many takes they had to do of this because they would have to clean everything. I have to assume fake blood is going to stain similar yeah. to real blood, maybe. So they'd have to almost recreate the set every single time. Yeah, it. I. I. But I love this scene, and to me, I. I would say this is the best scene of the movie. Yeah, as okay. as the police show up because now uh, Glenn's parents have found him. Yeah. Uh, one of the police says a wonderful line. Uh, you won't need a stretcher up there. You'll need a mop. Yeah, and like it's that. Just gruesome thought. And also, you have uh, Nancy's father, Lieutenant Thompson, say, "Don't tell me it's another one." I love that as well. Just kind of like, oh, not another one. But yeah, as if this isn't, you know, a traumatic and terrifying thing that's happening. Yeah. And and in this moment to me, this is where Nancy just goes straight hero mode. I, I love this ending of Nancy. I think it's brilliant. She, she Yeah, she's she's starting to attempt to protect herself because she realizes no one else is going to do it for her. Right. She had previously checked out a booby tracking, trapping, and self self defense book from the library, or purchased it or whatever. And she's now using some of those things in her own home. Yeah, and and that's that's the part that actually this isn't a plot hole. And and I'm I'm so glad they had this book in it because my God, if she was making some of the traps that she was without this whole hey she rented this from the library. I mean, some of these traps, the sledgehammer, my favorite trap of them all is just like a sledgehammer is meant to come down and hit freddy but then she's got like an an essential trip wire in her living room yeah and also she's taking gunpowder out of shotgun shells and emptying them into drilled out incandescent bulbs incredible right? absolutely incredible I, I i just love this scene of like because earlier in the movie I, I eventually i think you hear nancy's mom say to her like you're the one who's always like moving for a solution. Like she's kind of always moving forward and she just doesn't shy away from anything. Like she's just kind of like attacks things head on. And I, I just love that. Like this whole booby trap scene's incredible, but then she, she's going to fall asleep to bring Freddie out of the dream. Cause we learned earlier that you can bring someone out. Like she brought that hat out. Yeah, you can bring physical things out, and in the same way as we obviously saw that bad things happening to you in the dream or physical things happening to you will happen in the real world as well. Right, and and she sets a note, she sets a timer on her watch for ten minutes. This is my plot hole. Has anybody ever fallen asleep in ten minutes? I'm not sure that I have. See, now she hasn't slept for like three days, so I think. If she even tried. She said earlier it was seven. Oh, seven yeah, days. Sorry. I, so you have to think she's going right down. And I mean, seven days, like this movie, it does not follow a timeline very well because it feels like it's only been 12 hours, honestly. So I, I don't know if there's like time between these deaths that we, we, we don't really see. Um, but obviously, eventually she does fall asleep. And I, I pointed this out to you earlier, Jim, but she's walking down into her basement. And what is what is downstairs but a poster of dogs playing pool. Yeah, the quintessential thing that every single mother has in their basement. Absolutely. Like, it's hilarious. Dogs are doing human things. We have some fascination with that. My dad has an entire basement of dogs playing poker. He thinks it's the funniest thing ever, and I just don't have the heart to tell him. So there I am every year buying another fucking figurine for his basement. 
Does he have the one where the bulldog is handing the ace to the other dog it's, under the table? What you just That's described. What you just described is a massive centerpiece in his basement. I will take a picture and send it to you. I swear, like he has exactly what you stated. In I think it's a thirty-six by forty-eight. This is such a Wisconsin thing too, because I think my grandfather has some of these same prints in his basement as well. I just don't understand how you have to pick a thing you collect and it's dogs do. Anyway, we digress. This this just was very funny to me, and I added a little ripple into our little review here. So um, she eventually, she's she's going back into the boiler room is what we have going on. Yeah, again, we get that weird dream state uh, teleportation. She's no longer in her own basement. She's in the boiler room. Yeah, and we don't really, I mean, we don't really go through too much in this. I believe she sees again, the, the dead body of Tina. And I think this time she, she finds the cross as well and, from Gina's house. And she also sees the head Tina's house. She sees the headphones of Glenn and that's kind of what sets her off. Like she gets pissed. And so she's kind of having like a small fight with Freddie and I, I'm, I'm not remembering too much. Anything creepy Freddie did this time. Uh, it's because they immediately teleport back to her room. Right. She's somehow back up there again. And 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 here we finally see these booby traps go off. She wakes up, though, and we don't know if it worked or not. And that was kind of a weird little thing. Like, he's hiding under the bed or something. I don't know. But, like, she wakes up and is like, where is this dude? And he's just like, ah, Freddy, whatever. And dives across her bed trying to get her. Misses, of course. And she walks out the door... And then the sledgehammer doesn't go off, but then Fred... She didn't have it tied on yet. She tied it I on see. when she got out. I was looking for that as well. These details are hard to... They're easy to miss. Uh, but the, the sledgehammer scene, I was expecting like a hole to go into Freddy. But this thing bounces off like like he's an inflatable balloon. Like it just... Oh, and Freddy does the... Oh, like scream. Well, it's clearly a foam hammer, right? Oh, yeah. Like they're not going to throw a real hedge hammer at an actor. And I'm so disappointed because I was really excited for that. But yeah, I mean, cool trap nonetheless. And they're running throughout the house. And the next trap that goes off is the tripwire, which just lights Freddy on fire. Well, the, the tripwire was connected to a switch, apparently, which turned the lights on which made the gunpowder-filled bulbs explode. Yes, I missed a lot. This is the connection here. Yeah. Be I, I really enjoyed uh, this tiny little explosion that the props team had put together for that light bulb, and then Freddy bursting into flames yeah. uh, from, like, three feet away from it. A la, I mean, the way he died in the first place. So you, you, knew, like, you knew they were going to connect the dots back to, like, this is when he... Whatever. But through all this you see again that Freddy is vulnerable. Like that is just some of the fun of Freddy. Like when he's fighting people, he's not that scary. It's just kind of like in the end, he's going to have a vicious kill, but like he's really uncoordinated. Yeah. He, he's, he's normal dude with, with knife fingers, right? He's not that special other than, you know, the weird supernatural dream attack thing. Yeah. And, and so, I don't know. Like, I, I, I really do love that about him, though, because, you know, every other slasher doesn't really have a personality. Michael Myers breathes. Jason, I mean, doesn't really do any. Like, Freddy has a personality. Yeah, he certainly does. And it's it's creepy. And what I'll say is unsettling is probably yes. the best way to describe it, knowing that he was a child murderer. It 
it feels yucky. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's the clinical term I'd use. The for. only problem with this vulnerability is as movies expanded with Freddy, he became a joke. Like that is where I lost it on Nightmare on Elm Street. I love this movie. This is one of one of the coolest scary movies from the 80s. I loved it. But he became a joke with the future movies. Like he just kind of like those those like his his inability to be physical like just was on steroids. I mean, you go to Freddy versus Jason, he's a joke the whole movie. Yeah, he's he's the butt of even jokes from Jason's acting, yeah. right? Because Jason doesn't really have that dialogue. Right. So, I mean, I love I love that in this movie because they merge it really well with his intense kills. So that it, it just kind of has that creepy aspect to it. But obviously, he's on fire. So she's screaming for her dad. And this other guy's just like, huh, maybe I should get the sheriff. Like, he's literally... Yeah, because they're across the street at Glenn's house, right? Yeah. All of the police are still there posted up dealing with that crime scene. And 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 he's and like this guy hears her scream like seven times and is like, wonder what that is. And then he's like, and I think it's finally seeing the smoke from Freddie being yes. on fire is what clues him in. Oh, if it's burning down, maybe I should let somebody. I should know let the someone's trying to get out. And he <laughs> says it exactly the way you just said it. He's kind of like, maybe I should let somebody know. Like he he's it's pretty bad acting. But um, we we the sheriff comes. They eventually break the door down. And uh, I believe Nancy has this line to her dad. Now, do you believe me? Yeah. And and they turn to see fiery footsteps leading up the stairs. You you assume, or at least I did, that he was headed back to Nancy's room because maybe that's how he gets back yeah. into a dream. Portal. Um, and, and I believe here we have Nancy running up the stairs and it's like... Is it like marshmallow fluff she's stepping onto? Or? No, that was a previous oh, yeah. gag. I, for, I I had that written down. I I love that scene, but um, I digress. So she, she heads up the stairs and into her mom's room, which is where Freddy is. Fully engulfed in flames, he dives on top of her sleeping mom. And her dad follows her up and sees this finally, that there is this boogeyman mm -hmm. who has been terrorizing her. Uh, her mom turns into a skeleton. Freddy burns away and the skeleton sinks into a portal in the bed. Absolutely brutal scene. Um, I, it's like a, it's like the final kill essentially. And it's just, it's bad. I don't, I didn't like it. Yeah. Of, of all the kills thus far, this was the worst. Yeah. She turned, you know, I mean, it, it's not even really, you, you don't get to see a kill. It's just one flaming person lying on right. another. I understand why that's going to kill you, but it was not very satisfying. Yeah, no. Um, and, and, eventually like she asks to be alone in the room and she's like oddly okay like i i had that stick out is like she's like dad can you just leave me alone for a bit after she just saw her mom get killed she's like totally fine just i mean reinforcing that nancy is a badass and has one goal in mind is to kill freddie but then she goes on this this is where i get lost this ending is very hard to to really understand. I mean, and I think that's why I have it as high as a seven as I do, because I don't understand it. But she, she's like, Freddie, I know you're in here. And he rips through the sheets, like, which is kind of a cool scene. I like that. This is kind of the first time you see him come through the underworld or whatever. And, and she's like, I don't think any of this is real. Essentially, Nancy calls bullshit. Yeah, she, she almost shouts him to death to some degree. She says, he shit says that she's not scared of him, that his fear tactics will not work on her. And he just 
disappears, yeah. turns into uh, vapor almost as he attempts to attack her again. And this is kind of where the paranormal comes into play in this movie is because it's like, was she just visioning this the whole time? Was it actually just a dream? You know, you go through these scenarios, whatever, and eventually we we like, she wakes up and it's light, bright, normal. She walks up. Yeah, she's in her bed in the same house. Yeah, and her mom, <laughs> I love that they redeem this in the end. The mom's like, oh, I had a bender last night. Like, I... I think I'm done drinking. Which is kind of, like, it's like, if this is Freddy's vision, it's just nice of him to kind of get rid of that. Uh, but I, I don't know why. He just thought, hey, let's just not make her an alcoholic anymore. Um, yeah. Not to mention that she's obviously back. Like, we're either led to believe that uh, nothing ever happened and that the entire movie was a dream, which would have been a cool way to end it if they didn't get sequels like they did. Um, or that something more is afoot. Yeah. And and so she's sending her to school and Glenn and Rod and Tina all come driving in the car. And you're like, holy shit, what did I just watch? You, you don't really understand what's going on. So she gets in this convertible. And yeah, top down right now, just jumps over the door like teenagers do. Yep. And because that's cool. Um, and then the, the convertible shuts and her mom's like waving goodbye to her or whatever. And it's a red and green top. On a red car. We see it latching closed on its own. We hear the engine rev and off goes the car all out of control. So it makes you wonder, are her friends alive? I don't, I, I have not seen the sequels in a very long time. So it's very possible, but we do know at the end, her mom is then yanked through this, this door in this tiny window. A very bad dummy of her mom is yanked through the front window she goes of that door, you mean to stiff. say. Yeah, she, her body just stiffs up, and she just gets yanked through this window. Folded in half it's, through the window. It's bad, but also it's it's a very it's it's a very psychological ending, because you, you really don't know what happened. You know, it... Yeah, I... I tend to lean on the side of, like... At time of filming, they didn't know if they were getting sequels or whether or not they wanted sequels. So we are meant to assume that Nancy then dies yes. uh, due to another dream from Freddy. Her talking mean to him did not make him go away. Right. And I and I think you end this series right there, if you end it on that movie, probably goes down as one of the best horror movies ever. Or at least one of the ones where it didn't become such a law of diminishing returns. Right. I don't think it was one of the best horror movies ever. I think it's iconic in its way. Yeah. Um, hence my rating, a six out of 10. Just, it, it holds a place in my heart as like a great horror movie for the nostalgic reasons and being one of the first horror movies I've ever seen. But as we pointed out, there's lots of uh, weird stuff going on or weird uh, weird effects that just don't quite work. And any 80s movie that we do I mean, we're going to tear it apart just because it's fun. Uh, I mean, like, if if we were watching this in the 80s, who knows what we're saying about this? I mean, it's 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 life-changing because something like it had never been done before. But with what we're used to in film now, I mean, it's just not even... It's it's apples and oranges. It doesn't stack up. So, so I gave it a 7 because I think it paved the way for horror movies big time in certain ways. But I couldn't give it any higher than that because at times I was just like, what the fuck? And and I don't like that feeling in a movie. I don't like the, well, why did that happen type feeling. 
Yeah, it does give an air of pointlessness, but I think I think that actually sits well with me as the pointlessness yeah. because y- you can't get away from Freddy. He's in your dreams. You never get in away. I feel like that. I do love that. That's I, okay with me. And and something else, like something we probably should have started with, but it's a good thing to end with too. The name of the movie is A Nightmare on Elm Street. Wherever you grew up, more than likely, an Elm Street was close by. I mean, it's a very it's such a common name, very generic street, and. It's so it's just the idea that literally no one is safe. It's more it's like a cul-de-sac in the middle of like a small town in Wisconsin. You know, nobody is safe. And I think that's the idea behind the title. Well, Wes Craven never confirmed that to be true. Most people tend to find a side of that. I would agree. And I like I said, I think it's just a good movie. Yeah, there's not much more to say on this. Subject. It's a good, it's a good way to start off the scene that podcast. It's the, it's the first, first movie we'll review, so it's going to hold a special place in our hearts. Um, I think one other thing I wanted to say though is Robert England is an absolute legend in the horror game, in my opinion. His voice is just the weird. It's so recognizable. Yeah, and and. If you look him up, he's done a ton of other things. Like he he's all over the horror genre, and he just seems to love it. Um, that's where that's where my beef comes with the 2010 Nightmare on Elm Street. It's absolute trash because he wasn't in it, and Wes Craven didn't do it. So, um, you know, I, going forward with Nightmare on Elm Street, I don't like many of the sequels. I don't know about you, Jim, but I don't like many of them. <laughs> I don't think any of them stick out other than possibly, I don't know if it was number two or not, but Nightmare on Elm Street Dream, Dream Warriors, Warriors was number three. Yeah. was one that's always hyped and I, I think holds up the best, even maybe possibly over this first movie. But that's a discussion for another podcast. Yes, we, I don't think this will be the end of Nightmare on Elm Street. I want someday to do Freddy versus Jason, but man, that movie... Oh boy! Yeah, does not age well. <laughs> There's some bad- not not like a fine wine. No. Here. So so Jim, this is our first podcast. Uh, let us know what you thought. If you had any potential points you want to make to us, you can email us. What's our email? Uh, you can email us questions or comments at seenthatpodcast at gmail.com. That's s c e n e that podcast at gmail.com. And we'd like to announce our next movie, which is going to be... We are sticking with the Wes Craven genre, Scream. This is, without a doubt, hands down, one of my favorite movies. Jim has never seen this movie before. And and I think this movie is just an absolute icon in the horror game because of its ability to make fun of itself and to be scary at the same time. As someone who hasn't seen this movie, I know it's iconic, and I know I should have seen it, but... For whatever reason, it just never came across me. So I'm really looking forward to a fresh, fresh chat about a new movie it, uh, instead of rehashing or revisiting a movie I have. And it's seen. and it's going to hold a special place in your hearts because I'm I'm imagining you were 11 or 12 years old once, couldn't think of a costume, and thank God for Scream because you could just throw that damn mask on and you were good to go. Get a little bloody knife from Party City, good to go. With that, we'll say thanks for listening. We're seeing that podcast. I'm Jim. And I'm Scott. And roll credits.